Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. My name is Sam Dover. I'm a global beauty analyst for Mintel. And today we're going to be talking about sustainability. We recorded a podcast on this very topic back in July. If you've not heard it yet, and this is a topic of interest, then please do go back and listen because everything we spoke about then is as relevant today as it was earlier in the year. But as the conversation surrounding sustainability continues to evolve, we wanted to revisit the conversation and look at how some of the key topics we've been discussing actually impact brands. So with that in mind today, I'm joined by my colleague, Richard Co who authored our 2021 Sustainability Barometer and Joe Chidley, who founded sustainable beauty brand, The Beauty Kitchen, to discuss all things sustainability related. So to get us started, I just want to get you both to just say hello. So we'll start with Joe. Hi, everyone. I'm Joe Chidley from Beauty Kitchen. Hi, everyone. I'm Richard from Mintel. So let's get into it. One of the things that we discussed last time we spoke, Richard, was this idea of the climate reality gap, which essentially looked at how consumers are externalizing culpability. But since then, we've obviously, the UK has hosted the 26th United Nations Climate Change Conference, in other words, COP26. So I'm really interested to hear from you both what impact do we think this has had on consumer attitudes and what other outcomes do we think were notable from COP26? Well, talking about that climate reality gap, the research you ran around COP suggests that um, consumers are actually pretty savvy about this. And I think one of the positives around COP is the fact that it's put these issues in the public eye. So public awareness, public engagement with these issues um, has has definitely risen. Um, so for example, the research we did in relation to COP found that you know the majority of consumers do agree with things like wealthy countries helping developing countries address climate change. Um, they do agree that you know the imports a country like the UK takes in should count for the UK's emissions. So that reality gap, I think, it's closing a little bit and, and, and COP, I think, has been a big help in that regard. One of the positives is definitely the growing consumer awareness. And I, and I just have to echo that. Um, being with my Glaswegian accent, being a native here and having the two weeks of COP, the you know amplification of some of those messages, it has just been phenomenal and you know like everything there's the good the bad and the ugly you know and I think I think we could debate all of these um for most of the podcast today um but if I take the good because I like to take the positive first for me it was getting everyone talking about it in a way that they wanted to talk about it And it kind of reminded me of when we had the Olympics here in London and the amount of people that were not really that sporty, you know, talking about sport. And I think the legacy will be quite similar of where we will, as a nation, become climate champions. And I really hope that happens. Yeah, I mean, another reason I'm positive about it is I think all the negativity around COP has been talking about it as a political failure, right? So people are talking about, oh, you know, we didn't um, eliminate coal. You know, politicians weren't strong enough on this. Um, but I think that's not that surprising either, because if we look at the research we ran for COP, we could see quite clearly that the proportion of consumers who said, 
you know, my country should stop investing in fossil fuels is pretty low. It tends to be about 40%. So there isn't the kind of public backing to sort of give us that political will. But I think, you know, that will develop and change because exactly what Joe's saying, you know, these issues are, you know, people are getting more educated around the realities of that. I think if we ran that research again now, you'd get a stronger sentiment. But the big positive for me, and it's kind of what we're talking about today, is the business side of it as well. I mean, you know, look at the huge amounts of money being, you know, put forward, the huge amounts of capital by, you know, the founding founding of the, of the GFANS group and things like that. There's huge amounts of money being put forward to help developing countries deal with that. And for me, the kind of mobilization of business and that capital was the real positive uh, story coming out of this. Yeah, and I think as, a, as an SME and a, a fast-growing business, you know, to especially because we sit within the sustainability space. So, you know, for us to be given um, additional support or direction as well as a business, but also that awareness from financial institutions, because a lot of the, the challenges that we've had as a business is trying to understand how can we place a value on sustainability? Because at the moment, the way that, that my balance sheet and my accounts are driven is all financial. It's all about a pound sign at the end of the day. However, the value that's placed in my eyes within sustainability, whatever that is for your business, you know, for me, there should be some different ways of being able to present that value, not just through the financials. And I think that's been really helpful to notice that the financial sector are kind of sitting up and going, the pound sign is still very important, the commercials are still very important, but we have to understand how we can place the, the value here in terms of what a business is doing within sustainability. And, you know, a lot of the bigger financial institutions have come out. So NatWest, for instance, came out at COP and they have said that remuneration within their employee base is going to be linked to net zero targets. That when you're going through your risk profile as a business, you know, there will be three questions that will be related to what are you doing about sustainability within your business? And that's never happened before. I mean, one, yeah, going back to the political level about this, I mean, country like the UK, the UK, one of the positives, I think, is one of the few countries to actually have enshrined, you know, a lot of the commitments they made in Paris in law. So these are going to, this is going to turn into legislation. This is going to turn into compliance issues um, for businesses later down the line. The research we have at Mintel says, maybe surprisingly, the majority of consumers in the, in the countries we survey do think that the the higher uh, the environmental impact of a product, the higher its price should be. Whether they're saying that should be passed on to them is an entirely different matter. But um, yeah, to Joe's point, we are starting to see, you know, the smart businesses which are looking long term are, are already doing that. You know, they're looking at investment long term and they are putting a price on the environmental impact uh, of things and factoring that into the investment and, and the true cost um, of these things. So I think at a business level, that shifting is going to result in big change in legislation. And this is going to come down to consumers later down the line, whether businesses try and pass on that cost or whether they see it as a, as a necessary uh, short-term investment for the, to secure their long-term resilience, profitability, and reputation. Um, we'll have to see, but they really should be doing the latter, I guess. On that point, one question that I feel like comes up time and time again from our clients is, you know, are consumers willing to pay more for sustainable goods and services? 
what advice would you give brands ask, that are still asking that question? So we've obviously talked a bit there in terms of, you know, how do you put a value on it? You know, what advice would you give those brands that are still asking that question? I mean, I think it depends on, you know, why you're asking that question. So you're asking that question because you think that sustainability is going to come at a cost. Yeah. And like any innovation, and that's that's how we viewed sustainability within Beauty Kitchen. We view it as NPD and innovation. So yes, you're looking for that return on investment. But what happens through sustainability issues that you t- tackle within your business is that you end up becoming more effective and efficient. So actually your cost base is reduced. So, you know, on some occasions you may have to increase the price of your products but on most occasions it's actually looking internally at your business and making those efficiencies that then reduce the costs you can then tell stories to your customers around what what that is that you've done and that's where I think sustainability is a real innovation driver for me because you can look at your business and make your business stronger and see it as an opportunity but you can then take your customers with you by storytelling and and, and saying to them, you know, this is how we are doing our sustainability journey. You know, come along with us. Going back to your, bringing it back to consumers, Sam, um, your original question, my answer would be no. Uh, Consumers won't pay a premium for these products. Clearly some will, people with the budget. There is obviously a premium um, sustainability market. We know all the brands are operating in that, but it's kind of a wasted question. We get pressured to ask that question, but asking people, would you pay a premium? It's very easy to say yes to that. At the point of purchase, the reality is no. And we'll come on to some of the red lines and factors consumers have. But yeah, as Joe says, I mean, if people think this is a good way to start charging premium prices and, and making more money that that's not what it's about the financial arguments for this are really kind of imperatives about securing your future resilience making sure those resources you depend on are still going to be there um in 10 years and it's about um stop throwing away money stop wasting money i mean you know the current model we have you know the take make waste model that that is becoming out of date so you know the smart brands are realizing that i don't know mcdonald's coffee byproducts, that's someone else's raw material. And they're establishing relationships with other brands to turn that into um, a resource, something which is going to bring in money. And talking about resources, if you look at you know brands that are really celebrated like Unilever in terms of their work, in terms of issuing sustainable lines, I mean, one of the reasons they're actually reaping the rewards now, and, and you know, I think they said they had 1.2 billion in savings since, since 2008, is, is things like you know, reformulating to reduce the amount of things which are going into that product. So that is, it's a way of cutting costs in the longer term. And if we talk about something like, uh, you know, we've spoken to Joe about this before, but if, if we're going to start using things like um, recyclable plastics, yes, that's going to cost you more money right now. But fast forward a few years, um, when that's being done at more scale, that's going to be saving you money. And that's going to be, you're going to get past uh having to pay landfill taxes and things like that get past the compliance issues so maybe some short-term pain but it's all going to be about sort of you know stop wasting things stop throwing literally throwing money away in the future and then the other benefits you get of course are you know increased um, loyalty from your customers we know this is a massive driver for that and from your staff as well the people who work your stakeholders who work uh, in your business you know studies show the productivity um, their happiness their engagement with the business is going to go through the roof if you're a genuinely purpose-driven business 
And yeah, and whatever way we look at it, you know, whether you are a consumer, if that's your your label of the day, or whether you're an SME, or whether you're a large conglomerate, everyone on the planet is responsible for sustainability. And you have to figure out what part are you going to play? Are you going to celebrate it and face into it and, you know, use it as an opportunity for innovation? Or, you know, not... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, so another thing that we frequently discuss at Mintel, and I'm sure you, it's on your mind as well, Joe, is consumer education. I'm really interested, you know, what you both think on this topic. So how important is education and what impact does it really have on consumer behavior? So when as a brand, for example, you're, you know, using storytelling, as you mentioned previously, Joe, what impact does that have? Uh, in terms of motivations and consumer behaviours and how do you educate consumers, you know, there's so much research that has been out there. In fact, it would be really great to hear some of the research from Richard, but a lot of the times it's a really hard thing to do. But I, The way that we approach it is that rather than setting out to educate, what we want to do is we want to make definitive science-based fact accessible and convenient. But when it comes to science, um, a lot of the times consumers, unless it's to do with the efficacy of a product, they're not really that interested or potentially they're a bit suspicious of it because they don't necessarily understand it. And that's where the storytelling for us starts. So if somebody is buying a product from us for the first time, it's about the storytelling. Yeah, if they then come back and they're buying their second product, that's where they then want to scratch beneath the surface of Beauty Kitchen. Who are you really? And do I want to be associated you know, with you as a business? And as they become more loyal customers, they want to become more into the detail of what it is that you can provide them. And I do believe in convenience, accessibility, and science information, scientific fact, because at the end of the day, you can storytell, but you need to make sure that you're not greenwashing. And that's really where, you know, as a scientist myself, that's where that has to sit. But I never, we never lead with the science outside of efficacy. Well, my favourite greenwashing story I've seen recently, uh, I won't name the brand, but they talked about how they'd uh, taken out something like 20 Tyrannosaurus Rexes worth of plastic. And that's a classic bit of... Uh, contextless nonsense in terms of you know is that a lot um a plastic or not but back joe yes our research shows there are some massive education gaps i guess the first big one to address is our barometer the the countries are running the research in are all developed uh wealthy countries yet there's always more people who say uh my country is suffering from climate change than my country is causing climate change so you know the first thing we have to do is you know get more people people are only going to engage if they wake up to the fact that you know they're they're culpable you know they're part of the problem they're part of the solution um science you mentioned um we asked consumers whether they thought science could provide solutions to the climate crisis and the, the results are very disappointing you know usually looking around 40 percent of consumers in most countries would would say that and if we think about science is integral you know science is going to give us chemical recycling it's giving us more efficient batteries it's giving us solar it's giving us hydrogen fuel cells so it has a massive role to play and i still think with consumers there's this hangover where they're still kind of 
blithely placing their trust in all things natural. You know, natural can be great, of course. You know, I know it's one of your core values as a business, but I think consumers sometimes aren't asking, okay, is natural finite in this case? You know, where does it come from uh, in that regard? So, yeah, there is, there is some work to be done around science and I completely take your point about the convenience aspect. You know, people don't want to be delving into, you know, chemistry on the back of pack. You know, they want the, the, the information to be delivered very quickly, very clearly in simple clear metrics so they can see, okay, does this product use less water than a rival product or, you know, how much of a saving is that in, in context? And I guess when it comes to consumer education, our data also showed if you look at probably the area where consumers and brands are kind of coming together most would be on something like packaging, I think. Um, and basically three quarters of consumers don't understand um, the recyclability, the compostability, the biodegradability of different materials. And to be honest, why would they? Because I think a lot of companies have probably gotten away with being opaque about that. It's easy just to make a big marketing play and say, oh, we use some recycled ocean plastic in this or we're, you know, we're removing plastic then addressing on uh, the big issues. And, and the final thing I'll say about that very quickly is, you know, when we talk about education, um, I think what we need to see more of is more brands, you know, educating consumers on where the biggest impacts are you know what it's going to be energy right and you know what are they doing to reduce their energy footprint and um you know all of this helps educate consumers about what they can do in their own lives as well yeah it's one of the so i do a lot of different uh, webinars not just from an industry as in personal care cosmetics but also from a business perspective but also um from a school's perspective because i want to raise awareness particularly within circular business models that's you know really where my forte is and the big question i get asked all the time is if there's one sustainable swap you know what what is the one that i should do and I always say, change to a renewable energy supplier. And it kind of takes people by surprise because they think it's going to be something else or something really complicated. And, and don't get me wrong, I don't know what the stats are yet, but there must be easily over 85% of households in the UK still have gas central heating. Yeah, but even if you start with renewable energy supply for your electricity needs, then at least the, the reduction in um, emissions is huge. But it also gets you on the journey, you know, and that's what we want to do. It's not about a handful of people doing sustainability perfectly. It's about million, millions and millions of us doing it imperfectly. And I think that's the key with business as well, which, you know, I, I really like to get into the, the detail of is for businesses to, to get on that journey, but get on it anyway, you know, just do something rather than nothing. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, energy, I think, um, you know, I'm generalizing a little bit, but I, I believe, you know, of all the emissions we generate, you know, every year on the planet, 75% of them are, are related to energy. So that is the most impactful thing we can do. It's the most impactful thing businesses can do. But it's still quite rare to hear businesses talking about that. I, some yeah. examples come to mind, you know, Burberry talking about trying to use renewable energy in all, all of their own operations and also um, in the supply chain as well. Uh, at a mainstream level, I remember Budweiser recently being able to sort of boast that they were now sort of brewing beers made, you know, with 100% renewable energy. That's really impressive and, and differentiating. Um, and I fall into the bracket you're talking about, Joe, um, in terms of, you know, where my heating comes from in my house. Certainly, I might pat myself on the back for leasing an EV or doing other things. But yeah, that's that's still a big problem. And I think... 
that that connection between you know where we all are as individuals and where businesses are is really important because i think we know the challenges ourselves we know you know we can't solve this overnight so i think if businesses are more kind of um humble about this more human about this and say look okay you know this is where our footprint is today. This is where we need to get to. It's going to take this long, which increasingly they are doing. But I think that kind of transparency about where you are rather than um, greenwashing using T-Rexes like we talked about earlier is really important. You know, it, it is a journey and there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, the, this is where we are on the journey. We're only 20% of the way there, but this is our target. This is our plan. We'll yeah. keep you. We'll keep you in progress because I think we as individuals relate to that. You know, I want to change my heating system and things like that, but I might not yeah. be able to um, afford to, you know, get a heat pump yet or whatever. I think yeah. you know there is that connection. So more humility, I think, from businesses around that will make them. You know, a bit of fallibility, a bit of humanity goes a long way in in the comms and the the way consumers feel about those businesses. Well, we've actually taken some businesses by surprise. So I know that you guys know that we're we're B Corp certified. We're also Cradle to Cradle certified. And both those certifications, alongside many others, have really focused in on our targets to net zero. How do we do that? So for Cradle to Cradle, for instance, you have to use renewable energy where you can throughout your supply chain. And where you can't, so for instance, Beauty Kitchen's HQ, uh, we still of gas central heating now it's going to come out but it's probably going to take another 18 months two years to do that um, but we offset that now it's not a perfect picture but it's it's it means that we then know what we need to do to be able to get fully onto renewable energy but as part of the supply chain net zero scope one scope two let's talk about scope three, we've then talked to each of our suppliers and we've faced into saying to them, do you use renewable energy? Some of them, believe it or not, some of them, particularly down, very down south um, in England, they do, which is great, um, and some of them not. And what we've said is, right, how can we work together as a plan to get you guys onto renewable energy? Yeah, and it's and we're a small, you know, we're we're sixteen people. We're a relatively small business, but we've actually made them think just by asking that question. And it's not going to be something that's hap- happens overnight. But if everybody keeps talking about it and asking those questions, then you know there will be a nudge behaviour that moves us forward, and we can then all you know talk about it together. Yeah, I mean, um, looking at big, I guess, big consumer-facing businesses like retailers and supermarket chains, you know that sort of they're. They, they might talk about all the great work they're doing in their operations, but as you alluded to, Joe, you know, their, their biggest footprint is going to be in their supply chains, you know, upwards of 90% of their emissions are going to be in scope three. And I think, you know, we are seeing some big businesses get involved and, you know, even, you know, they've got countries all around the world and they're getting involved in helping people yeah. use renewable energy right down to, you know, sort of smallholder farmers and things. But one other thing you talked about, Joe, that theme of convenience came back again into my head when you were talking about, you know, I believe you're the first high street retailer to get B Corp certification here. Um, that's convenience, right? You know, consumers see that logo. Um, th- that's what they want, you know, and they obviously you've established a brand which performs that kind of choice editing as well. You don't, you know, you don't have to, in a way, worry about these issues because you know, either through the certification or the branding that, it, that is taken care of. And I think that's what consumers want. They don't want to have to read the small print, um, which it all makes make sure it's available to them, but they don't want to have to read the small print. They want to know through the certification, through your, through your brand that, you know, those things are being covered. 
Yeah, and 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 I know when we first started out, we placed a lot of value in talking about sustainability because you know that's I'm a sustainability nerd, and that's what I wanted to talk about, and it was just turning customers off, really, you know. So we had to change our narrative because sustainability is generally not what to lead with. Yeah, in some industries that will be the case. But in in personal care and beauty, it isn't. It has to be efficacy. It's still efficacy. If the product doesn't work, people don't want to buy it. It doesn't matter how sustainable, organic or otherwise it is. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we see that in in our research around what we call consumers red lines and you know we ask them about you know when they're buying coffee or soap or socks very kind of standard staple products you know what they think about um and sustainability factors do come up it's pleasing to see you know they might you know if we ask them you know what are the five most important things they might come up in fourth and fifth place but yeah it's um, the quality of the product familiarity with the brand which is more important and the analogy with packaging there as well you know people want packaging that preserves the product you know um we can't be having sustain back to your opening point Joe. you know we can't have wonderful sustainable packaging which is going to degrade in my in my back garden if it doesn't protect the product and all the um energy and water it's gone into making that in the first place so yeah those those red lines are definitely there um you know people aren't going to buy products just because they're sustainable or or just because uh, they're ethical no that that's it but i think what happens is as a brand if you've gone down the route, whether that's certification, and you don't necessarily need to get the certification, you can still use the principles. Generally, these certifying marks are very open source. So if you're a small brand, for instance, or even a big brand, and you're thinking, I don't know what the investment would be, how much is it going to cost me, how much time, there's a, you know, there can easily be a mini project that wouldn't be that time consuming or cost consuming to find out if that's the right thing for you. The thing I like about it is it gives you a framework. So it tells you what you're really good at. It shows you where your gaps are. And it also tells you what you're not doing that you should be doing. And and that makes it relatively easy as a business owner to go, okay, (laughs) these are the things that I can then prioritize and work towards in a 12, 24, 36 month period. Yeah, definitely. And I think because I mean, we've touched on it a couple of times in this conversation, but I think I want to kind of highlight it a bit more in terms of the importance of partnerships, because I think so many brands and companies go into the approach of sustainability a bit kind of sing- singular. They, you know, it's this is going to be part of our USP. We want to be the brand that is doing this for the environment or that for the environment. And actually, what's probably more powerful is going to be forging those partnerships and, you know, collaborating and driving that change. Do you both agree? It's tricky. I agree. But it's, you know, collaboration is tricky because you don't have control over it, you know. Um, so it's it's quite organic in the sense of how does it work and particularly collaboration between competing companies and, you know, within the same space. So if we take Beauty Kitchen, for instance, and we take retailers, whether that's high street retailers or supermarkets, the big grocers, and we then take brands, whether that's other indie brands or big brands like Unilever that we mentioned earlier, you know, it's how do you make that collaboration work? Because I know it's the right thing to do, but I've really had to push at 
quite a closed door because a lot of people have said, but, you know, you're competition. So it's quite unnerving and quite tricky. But the way that we've done it is we've used Beauty Kitchen as our demonstrator brand. And we've created a reusable packaging system, RE, that is available for the the industry. So we have Unilever as our second customer. And we launched Unilever products in reusable packaging through Asda, where Beauty Kitchen isn't stocked. Yeah. But that whole collaboration, you know, even just saying that out loud, people will be thinking, how did that even work? You know, because it's it is it's tricky. I'm not going to say it isn't. However, the opportunity that has come out, not just for Beauty Kitchen, but for Unilever and Asda, has been phenomenal. And that's where it's gone into a lot more stores than was initially um, suggested. I mean, yeah, collaborations key. I mean, sustainability is complex, right? It's a it's a systemic problem. I mean, I don't think there's any one company which can, you know, has the expertise within that company to deal with all these issues. So you need to work with wider stakeholders. You know, there might be people in the community, might be people in the government, um, um, associations and things. And I think between companies, obviously, you know, I don't have the job of having to sort of work with a rival company and sort of seeing, getting that process to work. But the value of doing it is pretty obvious. Um, if you can work with your rivals on a, on a common problem, um, you can obviously save resources, save time. And there's, there are, you know, pleasingly lots of examples of, you know, big brands who um, who are doing this. You know, we've seen groups like um, uh, McDonald's and, and Starbucks work together to try and sort of, you know, work on recyclable cup initiatives. We've had Adidas working with um, Allbirds to sort of crank create recyclable footwear and things like that so there are great examples of it i think sometimes it's just about working with people who are further along from you and on a kind of consulting basis you know very famously walmart did that um with patagonia uh looking at their sort of supply chains around sourcing and they worked together to create something called the hig index to sort of make sure they had um they were sort of ticking all the right boxes in terms of getting their supply lines right in terms of um in terms of their textiles so I think it's the only way forward is, is some degree of collaboration. I mean, it's obviously very brave if you can do it with your rivals, but it's the only way we are going to manage to address these issues. It's too systemic, too complex to do it on your own. Yeah, and what comes out of that, if you use the Patagonia and Walmart, when you use the, the Higgs, what's come out of that is it, its own organisation. And okay, it's a non-profit making organisation, but something else where the rest of the industry can actually utilise that. And, and that's, you know, that's amazing that that's almost been gifted to a certain extent but, but coming back to your point Richard it is, it is brave but we I want to try and encourage you know people being more brave and that's where I think this backdrop of COP26 is giving everyone more confidence in talking about the good the bad and the ugly so and on that note I think that's sadly all we've got time for today although I very much could listen to you both talking about this all day um, and hopefully we might get the chance to do it again in future but I'll wrap up so thank you to everyone for listening and a huge thank you to Richard and Joe for joining me today and sharing your wealth of expertise if you want to know more about Mintel who we are and what we do then head over to Mintel.com our 2021 sustainability barometer is available 
available to download at mintel.com and for even more insights from our analysts please do check out our blog and follow us on social media we're on LinkedIn Instagram Twitter and Facebook and also on that note go and follow Joe and the Beauty Kitchen as well so again thank you for listening please make sure you subscribe rate and review this podcast and if you like what you've heard today spread the word and look out for our next episode of Mintel's Little Conversation Conversation